0: Good morning, we're Nate and Laura Costa, and we're here to read today's scripture reading.
1: This is Matthew 22, verses one through 14. Once more, Jesus spoke to them in parables saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding banquet to his son. He sent his slaves to call those who had been invited to the wedding banquet, but they would not come. Again, he sent other slaves saying, tell those who have been invited
0: But those invited were not worthy. Go therefore into the main streets, invite everyone you find to the wedding banquet. Those slaves went out into the streets and gathered all whom they found, both good and bad, so the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing a wedding robe. Then he said to him, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding robe? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendees, Bind him, hand and foot, and throw him into the outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks Thanks be be to God. God.
1: So today's parable that Nate and Laura just read for us, it can be found in Matthew, but it can also be found in Luke. And here's the thing, if Matthew and Luke both had churches in Alexandria, Virginia, I would choose to go to Luke's church every single time. I don't know about you, but every time I visit Matthew's church, I sit kind of nervously near the door. Things are so clear-cut for Matthew. In his world, you are either a sheep or a goat. You are either wheat or weeds. You are either the, the foolish maiden or the wise maiden. And if you dare pretend for just a second that you are one when you're actually the other, Matthew's always ready to catch you in that and say, whoa, woe to you, you hypocrite, you wolf in sheep's clothing, you, you splinter picker with your own loggy eye. And I give you three guesses where Matthew says your kind of hypocrites are headed when the kingdom comes. Matthew is what we call a fire and brimstone preacher. He gets really excited about hell, which he conceives as this burning trash dump where a lot of sorry hypocrites are going to grind their teeth for all eternity. By contrast... Luke does mention the dump like once, so maybe there's something to it, but, but Matthew can't seem to get enough of it. Over and over and over again, Matthew puts hell in Jesus' mouth filling the fiery furnace with sinners of every kind, evildoers and unfaithful stewards and wicked servants, and at least one poor guy who we'll get to next week who was so afraid of his master that he did not have the nerve to invest a single talent in the financial market. Now, I'm not saying that Jesus didn't say these things. I'm not. I'm just saying that Matthew sure seems to enjoy reporting them. He he sure seems to enjoy reporting them in this way. The the same way he seems to enjoy telling the parable of the wedding banquet. Did you hear it today? Did you hear it as Nate and Laura read? Y'all, the first part of this is bad enough. The king invites the A-list to his son's wedding, but they don't show up. And so the king sends his slaves to go go fetch these people. But but when they arrive, this A-list crowd, they not only make light of the invitation that the king sent, but they kill all of the king's slaves, the messengers that the king sent. They wipe them out, which so enrages the king. It makes him so mad that he puts the roast ox and the fatted calf his chefs have been preparing back in the oven while he rallies his troops to go and kill all of those A-list people, burning their city to the ground. And that's, that's bad enough, right? But then he sends more of his servants to bring in the B-list crowd now which also includes some people in the C and the D and the F list crowd, most of whom were just checking their email or changing the oil in their pickup trucks or just sleeping in the bushes until the shelter opened. When they were remarkably summoned to the King's banquet. And they think, I must have, I must have won the lottery. And so they go, And you know what happens? The king notices that one of them, one is not dressed appropriately for this banquet and acts as if this is some kind of big surprise. This isn't the A-list crowd. and, And when the guy has nothing to say for himself, the king orders him bound hand and foot and thrown into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Like, can we go back to Luke's church, please? No, we can't. Not today. Today we are in Matthew's church. It's Matthew's turn to give the sermon. But if you have a hard time sitting still in Matthew's church or not wanting to run for the door, don't forget it's, it's Matthew's story, but it's not his gospel. It's the gospel according to Matthew, which every one of us, all of us together, are allowed to engage according to the gospel that has, that has given us life. You know, I've spent so many of my pastoral moments changing bandages on people wounded by brutal religion that I have a tendency to round off the edges that God means to keep a bit more sharp. <laughs> Perhaps this text is meant to be kept sharp. My problem is that I I really believe the gospel is good news. That even the hardest sayings recorded by those with the angriest ears have life in them somewhere with truth we need to know. In the case of this parable, I am deeply relieved that it seems Matthew knows About this awful dream I keep having. I wonder if you know this dream. In this dream, I'm the guest preacher at some grand place. The most Enneagram dream ever. But I've forgotten my clergy collar and my vestments, my robe and my stole, and there's nothing in the closet that fits me. My only choice are some baggy black things made for men twice my size or or little angelic things made for children who light candles in this grand place. And in this dream I keep trying, I keep trying them on and ripping them off again, trying them on and ripping them off again while the clock ticks time away. And the next thing I know I'm standing in in the church, in in, in something completely inadequate. I look a mess when it comes time for me to read the gospel, the gospel reading that day, and I, I decide that posture is everything. And so holding my head high as I step into the pulpit, I find that the Bible is written entirely in Mandarin. Or another version of this dream goes like this. I have just learned that I am enrolled in a class I have not attended all semester. Usually in something like math or physics. But I also forgot to drop the class, which means I have to take the final exam no matter what now. And so I find a textbook and I cram and I cram and I cram and I cram and I stay up all night but I can't do anything with the numbers. They, they just keep swimming around the page for me and I go to the exam the next morning knowing I'm gonna fail it and I walk through the door and the professor looks at me like, who, who are you? I, I wonder if you have had dreams like this. You know these kind of dreams I'm talking about? People seem to have different versions of these dreams, depending on their station in life, but the dream always comes down to being somewhere you are not equipped to be, usually without any clothes on, thank God I had clothes, waiting to be exposed for the imposter that you are. As hard as you have worked to prevent it, it is finally going to happen. People are going to learn the truth about you. That you are stupid. Or that you have no business being here. Or that you don't know which fork to use. or You don't remember the host's name. Or or that your body really is as bad as you thought it was or that people really are looking at you and sizing you up and judging you and there is there is really nothing at all that you that you can use to cover yourself up whatever else Matthew was up to in this parable he got that part right he got that piece of life right Everyone else at the banquet seems to have gotten a memo that that this underdressed guest has not gotten. And when the magnificent king approaches him with anger still radiating from him over his first disastrously received effort at being generous to the community, the underdressed guest has no time to think, much less get his textbook out. And friend... The king says to him, which is a lousy translation by the way, a derogatory like buster or boy works much better here. Boy, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? Oh. It's one of those dreams. It's a dream. And why why do I think it's a dream? Because because real people don't turn down a king's dinner invitation, much less torture and kill the messengers who came to fetch them to go to the king's banquet. Because once you have a whole ox and several fatted calves on serving platters, they're not going to keep while you go wage war on a whole city and kill its inhabitants and torch the place. Because who really expects... Someone nabbed in the middle of an oil change to have a clean wedding garment in the back of his truck. Jesus called it a parable. Which is almost the same thing as a dream. It's it's not a once and for all story. It's It's a story you can walk around in. A story that wants a response from you, hopes for a response from you. One that changes as you change so that it is different the 10th time and the 15th time you hear it than it was the very first. Matthew was certainly looking for a response, but, but his reasons for recording the story don't exhaust our reasons for entering it the king, the banquet, the dress code, the failure, the exposure of the failure, the judgment, the free fall into outer darkness, You know this story, don't you? You even know why it's no good to be a hypocrite. It, it really is deadly to keep Two yous going, isn't it? The public you and the private you. The you you say you are and the you you act like. The you you dress like and the you you really are. You say you're an environmentalist, but you gobble energy like a, a suburban mall. You say have a blessed day to the lady at the bank and then pull into traffic like a demon straight out of hell. You tell everyone who will listen how worried you are about the public schools and about the people who are losing their homes and about the election, and you don't do anything about it. Matthew seems to think that all this toness, this boastness, is about gaining advantage over other people, but I, I think it's circumstantial. When he wrote his gospel, he was dealing with religious people who were living high on widows' mites, who, who were using their theological educations and their institutional privileges to climb on top of other people. While that hypocrite's club still has plenty of members, Matthew stays so busy with them that he seems to lose sight of the people whose 2 has less to do with their inflated sense of their own worth than with their terrible fear that they are worth nothing at all. And this other hypocrisy is just as deadly. You look all pulled together, but you are really a wreck. You make, you make a good salary, but your heart is on welfare. Sure, you can speak three languages and you have a college degree and you know which fork to use. And still, still you keep waiting for someone to come and grab you and confront you and ask you how you got into this banquet. The truth is that you're, you're scared of the outer darkness. But it's no surprise, really, because it's where you always feared you belonged. Based on personal experience, friends, I would have to say that the only thing worse than the 2 the imposter syndrome is waiting for someone to find out about it. The only thing worse than showing up in your dream with the wrong clothes on or no clothes on at all, is waiting for someone to notice you. And then someone does. And while there can be real terror in that moment, especially in, in the noticer, if the noticer happens to be a real mad king, there can also be real relief in that moment because someone finally noticed. And now you don't have to pretend anymore. Someone was not fooled by your pretense. Someone has reached past the two yous to tap the real you on the shoulder. And even if he calls you buster or boy, the gig is up. Here's the good news, friends. God's kingdom as as this parable makes clear has no room for double lives for two-ness it will always bring it to light but here's also the good news when the impostor in us and others is exposed for what it is our wholeness is a real possibility perhaps for the very first time in our lives because someone has paid attention to us, to me, to you, long enough to notice what it, was, what it was about us that didn't fit. Someone who has decided not to let me pass this time. Who has the real nerve to walk right up to me and say, Which one's the lie? This isn't a Halloween party. Take off your mask. And once that's happened... We all have this chance to be made new. when this when this dream comes back we're we're going to play it differently right because we can now. And when the king approaches you next time you're gonna you're gonna let him know you got the point. When I was in undergrad I took this elective film class where every, Other Tuesday night, about nine of us would just sit in a dark auditorium watching deep and and sometimes really disturbing films together. On the alternate Tuesdays, we would sit in the same place with the lights on, discussing the characters we watch come to life on the screen. Most of the time, we know more about them than they know about about themselves. The high-strung real estate agent who can't see how brittle all of her striving has made her. But we can see it. The man with testosterone poisoning who can't see how much he misses his his dead mother. But we can see it. One Tuesday we were sitting there Talking about these characters who are so dense, when someone in the class pointed out that these characters don't have the luxury of of watching themselves in these movies like we do. These characters are in the movie, where they are so busy with their own dramas that they don't have much opening to think about their parts. They just keep playing their roles. Saying things they don't really mean, doing things they never intended, hurting people they want to be near to. When their lives change, if their lives change, it's because someone gets really close to them to tell them what they can't see about themselves. That they are even worse than they feared or that they are lovelier than they ever imagined, or that their story does not have to turn out the same way every time they can break the cycle. And since the characters are all different, so are the revelations that change their lives. There is no one-sized truth that fits all, except that the keys to their their prisons are usually in other people's pockets. And they're looking for someone to stop and look and say, the act is up. And when that happens, it opens the door to their salvation. Someone got close enough to see their past, their two-ness, and call them out on it so they can become whole. I don't remember who in that class said this, but whoever it was. We got what they were saying immediately. We got that we could not see ourselves any better than those people on the screen could see themselves. The question was, who was watching our movies carefully enough to tell us what they saw? Who in a room full of people who could see exactly how we were dressed would have the nerve to come up to us and say, how did you get in here? Or perhaps who would ask us, friend, didn't you see the garment with your name on it? That is the God I know. The God who walks up to me in all of my two-ness, in my imposter syndrome, in all the ways I can't see myself, walks up to me. And doesn't say, what the heck are you doing here? But says, friend, Don't you see the garment that was yours to put on? Don't you see who I've called you to be? I'll offer this to you in the name of God the Father, in the name of Christ his Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. I invite you now into a time of prayer with me. Um, Let us go to God with our prayers. The Lord be with you. Let us pray. God, we sit down at your banquet table today. So many of us wondering how we got here. Thank you, God, for inviting us to the table. How wide your welcome is for us. And God, we are sitting here knowing at your table that we don't deserve to be here. That we are are two-timing, double-crossing. There is so much two-ness in us. We are ourselves and we're another person. We We are what others see and we are what is inside. And you, God, walk up to us. And say, where did you come from and where are you going? And what is that outfit you have on? What is that that you're showing me now? Don't you know I've provided you with a garment? Don't you know who you are, who I've said you are? Don't you know I am integrating your two selves into oneself through the power of Jesus Christ who transforms lives and who meets us in the places where we are not at all who we were meant to be, trying to be all these things that God has never called us to be and calls us out of that and into our renewed purpose and renewed calling. God, thank you. Thank you for for being the one who meets us at the table, sees who we are and who we've been fronting to be, and calls us into new life. God, I recognize that there are people here today with us in worship who don't know who they are, who are so used to living this double who people see and who I don't want them to see. And they don't even know who they are in the inside. And they don't know how they created this facade on the outside. And and it's a terrible, terrible cycle. that is deadly, God. I pray, God, that you would call them out of that and into your newness of life today. Integrate, God, our inside self. Integrate our soul with the, with the person that we walk and talk like in the world. For Jesus taught us to pray a prayer that was all about getting rid of this imposter that likes to crop up out of us and getting down to the real meat of things the meat of who we are and who you've called us to be. Jesus taught us to pray, saying, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever amen. amen there is peace at the
0: table of the Lord there is peace at the table of the Lord i will